good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tweet Jewels, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 291-6901. That'll get you right straight to us. Got That's all our lines wide open. That's right. Right now is a great time to call. And if you drop a 225 in front of that number, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. And I sure wish you would. We'd love hearing from you and answering your questions and getting you some information. Right. Kind of get to a help di- you out. Kind of get a different perspective of what's going on around the country well that's right and of course here it couldn't be oh it's beautiful prettier than what it is i mean it's about what 68 degrees something out. like that oh just gorgeous oh course, that's very unusual for us this time of year yeah it is the, the, the weather in the last six or eight months has been just crazy yeah crazy here. good <laughs> <laughs> depends on which end you're coming from man. It, got, right. it got awful cold uh oh first yeah to, first of the oh, year yeah, but, it, uh, it was a bone chilling 50 degrees for about a week there <laughs> <laughs> people in minnesota are going what yeah. are you guys talking about yeah, crazy. <laughs> yeah, come up here and try the cold right it is starting to warm up and of course when the weather starts to get warm up the first thing we see is tons of air conditioning sure work, and it's already begun mm. i think last week probably I'd say 60, 70% of all the jobs we did were air conditioning related. Right. This time of year, like you were saying, it gets up about 75, 80 degrees, and out in the sun, it feels like it's about 100. So everybody starts cranking those air conditioners up oh, yeah. and find out that they got a problem, and it's take it to the shop and hope to get it fixed soon. <laughs> That's right. And what happens is that the humidity here is so high that it makes you feel a lot more uncomfortable. And of course, we're not going to get into all the physics of uh-huh. humidity versus temperature, but Basically, your body can't perspire as well when you are humid, so you feel hotter than what you maybe really are, what the temperature indicates. And that's one thing that air conditioning does. It dries the air out, which makes it much, much more comfortable. Of course, it chills it down, which is also nice. but It pulls the humidity out of it. The dehumidification of the air is what makes you really, really comfortable, and that's the water you see dripping under your car. Correct. Well, hopefully under the car. Yeah. (laughs) Not inside or... Not inside on the floor. Not at all. Yeah, or not at all. But... What the air conditioning is capable of doing, like I said, it's removing humidity, it's removing the temperature, and it's making you feel just a whole, whole lot more comfortable. When the weather outside, when the ambient temperature is not that severe, let's say it's like today, it's 68, 70 degrees, uh-huh. well, that air conditioning, even if you have to turn it on, is going to feel real good. Sure. You're going to think, oh, this thing works great, but the first time you get a 95-degree day with 95% humidity, all that's going to change. Because if your air conditioner is operating at, say, 80%, on a cool day like today, it'll feel great. Sure. You won't know you have any problem at all. But the first really hot day, that's when, oh, my God, what happened? It quit working. (laughs) Well, it didn't quit working. It never was really working well. And we get a lot of folks who come in for, say, a general inspection, and we're checking the car over all the different things. And one of the things we check is the air conditioning efficiency. And we'll tell them, well, your AC is not working at full efficiency. Oh, no, it's, no, it's, it's just fine. working it's fine. fine. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, if you want to wait, that's fine. I'm just telling you, say 58 degrees out of the vent. And 58 degrees may sound cool, but 58 degrees will not cool that car when it's 95 degrees outside. Exactly. It should be closer to the low 40s. Generally, around 43, 44 degrees is a good air conditioner vent temperature. And, of course, that varies. You've got both doors open. It's not going to achieve that. But with the car closed on recirc, with the blower blowing at medium, it's going to achieve somewhere in the low 40s. And that's a good temperature. That tells you how efficient it is. And there's actually a formula where you can take the humidity and the ambient temperature into account, and you can know exactly what the blower temperature is supposed to be. It tells you how efficient the unit is. Correct. And if it's below efficiency, then you know you're going to have a problem, whatever that might be. And right now would be the prime time to get it done while you still have the choice of having it done or you're stuck out and going to a wedding or something like that and you're all dressed up and all of a sudden air conditioning don't work now well, and 
or far, far worse, your wife is all dressed up. <laughs> <laughs> and she's going somewhere. There and she you gets go. There and it's hot. And that's certainly not any kind of thing you want to have no, go out. No, definitely and not. as we start to get into the warmer weather, you're not the only one experiencing this. Of course, you multiply that times the fi- city. 500,000 <laughs> people in the Baton Rouge metropolitan area. Right. And the shops, all of them will pretty much fill up pretty, pretty quickly. I know during the summer months, we have three guys who pretty much specialize in air conditioning. And those three guys are booked probably two weeks in advance for the majority of the summer months. Sure. So when you call, we just normally can't get you in real readily. Well, and right now is, like I said earlier, the perfect time to call because now you have a choice to get to where you want to go. Later on, when everybody's booked up, you may just have to take... Whoever can get Whoever to you. Whoever can get to you, and that's not really a wise decision. Well, air conditioning work is one of those things that I guess it is probably the most dependent on the quality of the job as to how long it's going to last. There's very few things that are going to come back on you as fast as an air conditioner if it's not perfectly done. Uh-huh. And when I mean perfectly done, the environment of air conditioning repair almost has to be sterile. I mean, it Correct. has to be just spotlessly clean. Any, any tiny, small amount of debris that enters or remains in the system is going to cause a problem. Sure. It's going to get into one of the little small orifices or the little crevices, or it's going to get jammed up. And before you know it, the air conditioner quits working again. Well, and what happens so often is that, let's say, some moisture gets into the system, which starts to form an acid, and this acid starts to attack the aluminum components. Well, the first thing that it's going to destroy is generally the evaporator core because it's the thinnest. Correct. And it's got refrigerant sitting in it all the time, 24-7. So what happens, it starts to eat a little hole through that aluminum. It starts to corrode the aluminum away. And as it does, of course, the system starts to leak. And generally, it's a pretty small leak at first. And what's really insidious about it is that if the hole is in the bottom of the evaporator core, there's oil that floats around in the system, and it collects in the evaporator core. Uh Uh-huh. So as it's forcing the refrigerant out, it's also forcing the oil out. It's pushing it out. Generally, when you open an evaporator case on a car that's had an evaporator leak, you're going to see a puddle of oil in the bottom of that case. Right. And that's normally what you smell if you're getting an odor from your air conditioner. That's what you're smelling is that oil because the oil becomes rancid. Refrigerant actually is colorless and odorless, so you won't know. You could breathe it all day long. You never know you even breathing it right but the oil the oil has an odor to it now this is the problem is that if you pump a certain amount of oil out because generally the entire system only holds six to eight ounces so let's say you lose four ounces of oil which is four ounces is not a whole lot of oil no but it is for that system it is now you're down 50 percent so what happens is that the compressor starts to store for oil now as it stores for oil it starts to wear metal starts to get generated because metal is rubbing on metal the metal starts going through the system it gets into the condenser where it can't be removed, it gets in the hoses, it finally plugs up either the orifice or the expansion valve, and the system quits working. Uh-huh. Well, that's the first sign that the owner knew there was a problem. Correct. But at this point, you have a catastrophic failure. Almost every component on the system is bad. Right, because is has real small tubes in it. I'm mm-hmm. talking about they're very, 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 very small compared mm-hmm. to the old R12 tubes. Right, right. the condensers so the condenser, are almost microscopic. It's almost impossible to clean out. Well, I don't know any way really to clean one, and there are several flushing-type machines on the market, and they will even tell you we cannot clean a condenser. It's Once it's got metal in it, it's just going to have to be replaced. So let's say what happened is that the car got older, and you had a hose that maybe got dry-rotted, and so some moisture leaked in through the hose. Okay. That was the beginning. Now, no one knew this went on. That probably went on for about six months to a year. The moisture formed acid, the acid ate up the evaporator core. Okay, another six months goes by, eats a hole in the evaporator core. 
Now it gets low on the refrigerant. You recharge it once or twice. Okay, well, at this point, probably two or three years has gone by, and now the system is completely destroyed. Well, first thing you know is when the compressor quits working. Correct. So you go in and you say, hey, my AC is not working. The guy says, well, let's put a new compressor on. It's bad. Okay, where are you going with this? <laughs> <laughs> you just used that four or $500 compressor as a filter. Well, yeah, because that new compressor is probably, the average life expectancy on it is about three to six months. Mm-hmm. Now, the bad part is not only do you throw away a whole bunch of money, because like you said, a compressor can be anywhere from 500 to $2,000. Depending on application. Plus the labor to install it, plus the vacuum and recharge, plus all the other plus, 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 plus. Uh-huh. Now, what you've done is use this thing to make a filter, which takes it out. Now you got the metal from two compressors in the system. Exactly. So now you got an even worse problem than you had before. Six months has gone by, you've blown a thousand bucks, fifteen hundred bucks, and you're worse off than you were before. Exactly. And you will perpetuate this cycle. I mean, if you keep changing the compressor, you're going to keep going through this cycle. Each time it'll be a little shorter. You know, the first one might last six months, second one might last three months, the next one will last a week. Right. So you just can't go in and treat the symptom. At that point, when that occurs, what we have to do is go in and say, okay, what's going on here? Why did well, the compressor fail? Well, yeah. First off, our hoses are leaking, and so we're getting moisture in the system. It's okay. overwhelmed the dryer, so the dryer is now bad. It's eating a hole in the evaporator core, so the evaporator core is bad. It's losing all the oil and stuff in the system. The compressor is bad. The orifice is bad. If we got rear air, now the rear expansion valve is all full plugged of metal, up. and the condenser is plugged up. Exactly. So now you're into a whole system. That's right. Every component in it has to be changed. And when you hear $2,000 to $2,500 to fix the air conditioner, you hit the ceiling, but let me tell you, that is the cheapest way out. Oh, sure. Because you can spend half that, and it's going to get your air for maybe six months first time, three if months the second time, and a week the third time. Yeah. And you still got to fix it. So then you're out 3500 <laughs> Yeah, and still hadn't fixed anything. Right. You've actually made things way, way, way worse. So that's just kind of a little quick scenario on air conditioning, and that's one thing that we do know a whole lot about because we see an awful lot of it. We do. I guess in areas where it just doesn't get as hot or as humid, they probably don't service air conditioning well, as much or the units think. aren't as highly loaded. So I know Louisiana and Florida, right? Uh, generally you're going to see your best air around conditioning your, service. Around your Gulf, Gulf Coast. Yeah, you can see most of your more experienced techs down in that area, just like you'd see the guys who know everything about heaters. <laughs> exactly, up north somewhere. Yeah, in Wyoming or Minnesota somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> These guys know things about heaters we can't even imagine. Exactly. <laughs> because that's what they work on all day long. But, yeah, that's the problem with air conditioning. We see it so often the unit comes to us after they've gone through this cycle. They have right. already spent probably $3,000, $3,500 patching, patching, patching the air conditioner. It keeps going out. They're totally frustrated. And now you tell them, man, look, here's where we've got to go with this. Right. You don't have anything here to work on. I've seen a lot of cars traded off for just that reason. Sometimes they do. But, again, you got to remember, a guy brought a brochure by the shop this week, and it was for the new Tahoe, the brand-new redesigned right. Tahoe. Base model, okay, $54,000. Wow. Loaded with accessories, sixty-five. <laughs> Cars are not cheap. Man, I mean, a used car now is fifteen oh, yeah. to twenty grand. That's something with 100,000 miles on it. Right. So more and more and more, even that $2,500 repair bill is it's looking a whole lot better. Yeah, by virtue of the alternatives. Right. And a car is worth what it's going to cost to replace it. Sure. Or get alternate transportation. I mean, even if you're not going to go stand out there on the corner and wait for the bus, which I'm not going to do. <laughs> <laughs> I work well, that two, makes two of us. Yeah, I work two jobs. I'm not going to stand on the corner, I can tell you right now. Hey, let's go to our phone line. Steph, good morning, Steph. Good morning. First, I'd like to say I appreciate you boys being on the radio. Y'all really help out a lot. Well, thank you. Thank you. 
this is my second time calling. The first time I was a little embarrassed because I made my problem worse. Uh-oh. <laughs> I talked about my digital odometer, and I was trying to get it to come on sometimes, and I broke my dash. Yeah, so, I remember yeah. that. I remember. remember me? <laughs> yes, yeah. sir, I do. It's good to hear y'all. This is my second time calling, and okay. I have one that I can't break. Okay. Let me see. I got a 99 Ford F-150 Lariat, okay. and it's got this four-wheel drive switch thing, 2H, 4H, and 4L. Uh-huh. And I can hear that it engages. The switch actually works. You can hear it humming, but it doesn't engage all the time. The four-wheel drive won't engage. Sometimes it will, and then sometimes it'll get stuck. It won't get back out. Uh-huh. And I'm just wondering what kind of problem. It must be down near the wheel or something. It could very problem. well be, Steph. What you've got on that thing, when you're flipping that switch, you're working a motor, which basically turns a gear inside the transfer case, which engages four-wheel drive, engages four-wheel high, and engages two-wheel drive. However, all that does is put power to the two drive shafts. Now, the drive shafts go out to the differentials. On the Ford, in the front differential, when you start to turn differential, it doesn't automatically put power to the wheels. Out by the hub, there's a vacuum-operated assembly, which it is a solenoid that opens. It applies vacuum to the hubs, which draws that in and locks the hub to the wheel. Now you've got four-wheel drive. Okay. Until that happens, you're just turning the differential and stuff. And the way you can kind of tell what's going on, if you – Put it in four-wheel drive, and let's say you jack the back wheels off the ground, and it still doesn't move, and you look under it, and the front drive shaft is turning. Well, now we know the transfer case and all that's working because it's turning the differential. We know it's in the hubs. They're just not locking in. Okay. And there's a number of things that can cause that. I'm going to let Brian take because he's pretty sharp on that. But anything from the solenoid valve to a leak in the hub can cause that to not actually engage. Right. That bearing is set up. It has it actually has O-ring seals on it inside and out, and there's actually a vacuum line that is applied right to the center of the steering hub between okay. the two O-rings. And what it does, instead of having a lock on the outside, it just has a flat hub. When you apply vacuum to it, it engages that ring that you would engage manually with a twist knob, like you've seen on the much older four-wheel drive. The old manual lock. Yeah, right. This one does it with vacuum. It opens a solenoid, applies engine vacuum to the hubs, the vacuum in the hubs draws the gears together and actually locks the, the front hubs in that way. We have seen that once they lock in, they'll get stuck. Like you were saying, they won't disengage mm-hmm. for the mere fact that the grease has gone bad and the little gears are just hung up. They can't overcome the spring pressure to release. Okay. We've seen the, the seals go bad, the O-ring seals go bad. There is a special tool that you have to use when you change the seals in it. It's a special installation tool. If you mm-hmm. do not use that installation tool to put that seal in, it'll never work. You've got I'm familiar to, with that, all the special tools. <laughs> yeah, that, that seal has to fit that hub almost perfectly to make a good seal to work them hubs. A fix uh, hold on one second, Steph. I'm up against a break. If you can hold on, I'll be right back to you. Sure. We're going to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Travel my way, take the highway. Hey, Agco Automotive is here to tell you some things are too good to be true. Like free beer tomorrow or lose weight on the ice cream and cheeseburger diet. Another thing too good to be true? The low price oil change. Automotive businesses will sucker you in with an under $30 oil change and then give you a huge list of recommended maintenance and repairs like flushes, brake work, rack and pinion leaks, oil leaks and more. Well, Agco says be smart. When you get the list, bring your vehicle to Agco and we'll provide you an honest evaluation of any problems you may be having. 
Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Oh, and those beautiful models just waiting to talk to you late at night? Yeah, too good to be true. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Between two of us, we'll answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901, and that's exactly what Steph did. Steph, on a four-wheel drive, it is a complex setup. It does take some special tools, but checking it doesn't take very much of anything at all. The first thing you want to do is go out to the hub, pull one of the vacuum lines off, put a vacuum gauge on it, put it in four-wheel drive, and see if you got vacuum. Now, if you got vacuum there, then you know the problem's inside the hub. So then you start tearing the hub down and all that. If you don't have vacuum there, the next thing you do is go up to the little solenoid. It'll be on the firewall on the no, right-hand side. It's on the okay. passenger front on the right-hand side, right okay. behind the battery, I think, is where okay. they put it. They moved it? Okay. Yeah. And just go to that solenoid, take a voltmeter, put it across terminals, put it in full drive, see if you got 12 volts. Now, if you got right. 12 volts there and no vacuum coming out, then the solenoid's bad. If you don't have 12 volts, you just got to trace it back up. It could be the switch. I've even seen where the gym module, the general electronics module, which activates it, can go bad. And right. that way, even though you got a switch command, it's just not. If you're it turning, gets into that, you got to have a scan tool to, right. to go much further. But that's going to be the exception and not the rule. You're turning the switch, and it's sending a request to the gym module, and the gym module actually activates the solenoid to apply yeah. vacuum to go to the hub. Now, Correct. you can take that same vacuum gauge you plugged in at the hub, Go yeah. up to the solenoid, unplug the solenoid, and plug it in there. Right. If you have vacuum there, then you've got a hose that's got a hole in it somewhere between right. the two. And I mean, you can even take a little vacuum pump, put on the hub, and, right. and pump and it down and see if it, if it engages. So there's all kinds of simple, simple okay. tests with simple right. tools that you can use to check it. And most of the actual fixes on it, other than the few you know special tools you'll need, are, are pretty straightforward. So if you're pretty handy, I mean, you'd probably be able to do it. Well, good. I know I can't break it like I did my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I might stretch the O-ring, but I don't know. That's right. That's right. Your guy told me a long time, he says, you're a really good mechanic. Doesn't even own a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't great. know if I believe that, but that's what no, I was going to say. <laughs> well, I thank you, boys. I really right. appreciate y'all being on the radio and helping uh, people out. Okay, thank Steph. You. Thanks, man. Yes, sir. Bye. 291-6901 is the number, and we're going back to our phone lines with Jim. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. Yes, Good morning. I uh, just want to ask y'all a question about air conditioning service. You bet. I've got a Acura MDX that is two years old. I don't know that I'm having any trouble with the air conditioning, but mm-hmm. is uh, can you just bring it in and have it looked at in service like they do your outside unit? Absolutely. Jim, the only real maintenance service on it is to check the refrigerant level, make sure it's full. Make sure the belt is good, not slipping at all, the tensioner is good, and clean the condenser. And okay, those three well, things will prevent most problems that you're going to okay, have. Okay, well, we've got some work that, that we're going to ask you all to do. We're going to call this week, and I just ask for yeah, just that tell service them to, as well when exactly. I bring, make the appointment. Just tell them you'd like to have the condenser clean and inspect the belt and tensioner. What happens a lot of times, Jim, and this generally is going to occur up around 80,000, 90,000 miles, is that the belt tensioner is a little spring-loaded component that holds the yes. belt tight. That goes through 1 billion cycles in 100,000 miles. That's billion with a B. So it's pretty tired by 100,000 miles. And people say, well, the belt's not squeaking. Well, no, it's not squeaking, but what it's doing is slipping very slightly, which is generating heat. And most of the heat is going to be in the AC compressor because that's drawing about 30 horsepower of force. So that's going to be what's going to slip. 
it starts to slip slightly ends up burning up the clutch when you burn up the clutch you pretty much took out the compressor so you end up instead of spending a hundred and fifty dollars for a belt and a tensioner you spend three thousand dollars for a compressor and a complete air conditioning unit yeah well i'll try to avoid that yes can. sir you yeah. bet. <laughs> <laughs> well we'll make a, an appointment this week thank you guys. absolutely thank you sir bye-bye bye-bye 291-6901 is a number if you need some information some advice or that's right or you just got a comment you want to make there you go we'd love to hear from you yeah, that's right go ahead and give us a call should you happen not to want to be on the air and talk to us live today or you think of something after we go off the air or even next week at midnight sometime there you go you can go to our website 24 hours a day seven days a week there is a contact bar on each and every page you can send lewis an email anytime you get ready and he will get it back to you within 24 hours that's right. that address is agcoauto.com a-g-c-o-a-u-t-o.com that's right. That stands for Altazan's Garage Company, just in case you need an easy way to remember it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of great things on that site oh, to do. Oh, yeah. The details topics is probably where the majority of the information really is. There's vehicle questions, which gives you a quick to-the-point answer. Then the vehicle topics are going to give you a much more involved answer. It tells you all about how, why, when, where everything a, works. Yeah, it's a couple hundred-word article. Yeah, on a certain topic. Put one in this morning, which is the second part of the one from last week about engines and replacing an engine. And this uh-huh. is something that I think people are coming up against this more and more. Some of the newer vehicles, when I say new, I mean 2007 on uh, up. Yeah. Far, far more complex than the old engines. The variable cam timing and the displacement on demand, all kinds of fuel management systems and what have you. They just don't tend to last like the old engines did. So it's right. very, very common to maybe need an engine at some point in the life of your vehicle before you're ready to get rid of the vehicle. We've seen a big increase in engine replacement lately. That's right. we changed a lot of engines. This will give you a lot of insight on how, when, where to look at having an engine changed. Hey, we're going to take one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Good morning. And welcome back to Automotive Maintenance School, fellas. Good morning. Yesterday, we left off talking about how to upsell your customers with the sneaky $24.99 oil change. Yeah, they come in for the special and bam, we hit them with other problems we just happened to find while doing the oil change. (laughs) Yeah, and then you tell them, it's a good thing you came in for our oil change special. Yeah, you may never have known you needed all this work. Yeah, sound like you fellas did your homework. I just hope none of your customers did. (laughs) Agco Automotive has this to say about low price oil changes. Take advantage of them. And if you get a list of recommended repairs, bring your vehicle to us for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And we're going right to our phone lines with Bruce. Good morning, Bruce. How are you doing? Doing great, sir. I'd like you to explain variable cam timing to me. That's something that's way over my head. So I'm uh, going to hang up and listen. Okay, Bruce. All right, sir. It's pretty simple, actually, and there's several different renditions of it. But what variable cam timing is, there is a cam sprocket on the front of the camshaft or camshafts because some engines have multiple camshafts. 
you may have one cam, you may have two, you may have four, depending right. on the configuration of the engine. They're all hooked to the crankshaft. They're all hooked to the crankshaft, and they're in time with the crankshaft. Correct. In other words, when the piston comes up, the valves have to close for compression and so on. Just like it's always been. Right. But with variable cam timing, those sprockets can actually turn one way or the other, so they can advance or retard timing, which increases or decreases performance at a certain RPM range. So what they're doing, they're tuning that engine or fine-tuning the engine per camshaft. Now, let's say on a Ford 5.4 liter with a double overhead cam, there's four camshafts. It can vary either one of the intake cams or either one of the exhaust cams, and it can advance or retard the cam timing, and it just gives them one more thing they can control. In other words, back in the day, old cars, the only thing you could really vary was the ignition timing. You would set the timing, and you could vary the ignition timing. There was an advanced mechanism that would advance timing as you got more speed to make more power, retarded at other times to stop ping and all that. Well, this brings another parameter into effect. They can actually vary the cam timing now. So with ignition timing and cam timing, they got two of the forces under control. They've also gone another level beyond that now with direct injection where they can actually control the injector pulse and fire it at a specific time. There's a way conventional injection works is that the injector fires somewhere around when the piston is going down and it kind of lurks around inside the intake manifold until the valve opens and it sucks it on in or the intake port, excuse me. With direct injection, what it does, it actually fires directly into the cylinder and they can time that. In other words, they can fire that injector right when the piston is exactly where they want it to be. It's just a way of giving more control to allow them to optimize performance, optimize things like that. Fuel economy. Fuel economy, right. emissions, moreover. Now, in my opinion, all that said, it is a whole lot of complexity with very, very, very little benefit to the average driver. So what happens is that you now got all these big long chains and sprockets and solenoids and all that that Guides. go bad. Right. And the overall cost is much, much higher than the benefit to most drivers. Right. Now, if you're a techie and you just love that kind of stuff, You great. like tinkering, hey, yeah. That's fine. And I say, let's make it an option for those guys who want it. Me, personally, I don't want it. Because no. they don't get much better gas miles. They really don't get any better emissions. And they don't run that much better, and to my way of thinking, the for cost, all the complexity. And the cost of repairing it when it does break. Is absolutely just mind-boggling. General Motors has what they call active fuel management, which goes into a whole other thing where it can actually shut off certain valves under certain conditions. And again, most of those vehicles consume a tremendous amount of oil because when it starts dumping all the oil out of those lifters, exactly. it slings up on the cylinder walls and it makes them burn oil. So, <laughs> I mean, with all technology, you gain some, you lose some. The point is you have to have enough gain to overweigh the, cost. the loss. And there are things, there are technologies that do that, and they do that very well, and that's great. But when we just start developing things just because we can, hey, look what we can do. Yeah, hold look, my beer and watch this. Yeah, look how complex <laughs> this is going to be. What we do is we increase our cost dramatically, and the gain to the customer is very, very little. And that's where a lot of the newer cars are well, that we're seeing. And like you were saying earlier, the price of a new Suburban. Yeah. $65,000 yeah, loaded. that's a Tahoe. A Tahoe. I, I that's not even a Suburban. <laughs> okay, that's a Tahoe. Yeah. There you go. So anyway, that's uh, basically the way it all operates. Going back to the phone lines with Cal. Good morning, Cal. Hi, Lewis. Good yes, morning sir. to you guys. Good Thank morning. you, sir. All right. Now, Lewis, I got one question, and I got a 2001 Ford Explorer. Okay. With a 4.0. 4.0, uh -huh. yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Will the upper intake gasket stop the 
computer from letting the computer fire? No, sir. That's totally independent of the electrical system. The upper intake gaskets are kind of bad about going out on that one. What happens, they tend to shrink up over time, and it gets a vacuum leak, and it'll throw a check engine light, code PO171 and PO174, which is lean bank one, lean bank two. So it will generate a code because it's leaned out too much because it has unmetered air going to the engine, but it cannot shut the computer down, no, sir. Anyway, will anything shut the computer, stop the fuel pump from firing up? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Lots of things. Lots and lots of things. I mean, it could be something like the security system is being armed because it thinks it's being stolen. It's going to shut the fuel pump down. A bad fuel pump relay, a bad wire, a bad driver in the computer. There's, on and on and on and on, even a bad fuel pump. Lots of things can shut the fuel pump down. But three new fuel pumps, so I know it's not a fuel pump. Yeah, man. well, that's an expensive way to know it's not a fuel say. pump. I could have done that with a voltmeter, man. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you say that before, bring it in. Absolutely. Yeah. You yeah, what you got to do, Cal, is start out at the fuel pump, okay? Go to the wires on the pump, cycle the key on and off, and see if you got voltage back there. If you got voltage and ground, then we got a problem with the fuel pump or inside the tank, at least. It could be the harness on the fuel pump, on and on and on. If we got no, no voltage, voltage back there, no then, voltage. but again, how you checking it? Uh, with the voltmeter. Yeah, but how? When? I mean, when you first cycle this key. The, on the red wire. Okay, but see, wire. it's only going to have voltage for just a second. Right. So you can't just turn the key on and go check the voltage. It won't work. You're not going to have voltage. It has to see the sensor for the voltage to be applied. So the only thing you could do is either use a scan tool, bypass the relay, or go back there and have somebody cycle the switch while you're reading. And it's only going to pulse it on for a second or two. See, if it doesn't see the crank sensor turning, it's going to cut the voltage back off again. Right. It doesn't want to flood the engine. So you got to know how to do it. <laughs> you can't get around knowing what you're doing, Cal. You're right, Louis. All righty. All right. Thanks, man. I'm going to make an appointment with you. I'm gonna, I want to get it pulled in and let you all Absolutely, right. man. We could check that out, Cal, in less than an hour and tell you exactly what's wrong with it. And then if you want to fix it yourself, that's great, but at least you'll know what's wrong with it instead of throwing parts at it and hoping to fix something. What show, guy? You're a great guy. Thank <laughs> All, you, right. Yeah. All right, Cal. All thanks for right, calling, man. All right. Got a great show. Yes, sir. Thank Let you. To you. Thank mm -hmm. you. Bye-bye. Okay, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive aisle, we would love to have you. That's really an expensive way to go about. Oh, it is. Checking, uh, trying to fix a vehicle. I see that so, so, so often. I do, too. It's It's a shame. I had you know, a gentleman who had written to me earlier in this week, and I could tell he had some automotive knowledge. He had probably worked on cars at one time. He may uh -huh. have been a professional mechanic at one time just because of the things he was asking and stuff. And he said that his engine was running too lean, Okay. and if he unplugged the oxygen sensors, it would actually go back and read better. It wouldn't read perfect, but it would read a lot better. Okay. So he had replaced the oxygen sensors twice. He had replaced the computer. He had wow. replaced the airflow meter. And he was wondering if he should change the injectors. Holy moly. And what he actually had, like I told him, when you unplug your oxygen sensors, you throw it into a default reading. Correct. So now it's running on default settings, so the fuel trim is going to get better. It's going to change. You had not really fixed anything. All you've done is fooled the computer, uh -huh. and it's not looking at all the parameters. And come to find out, we emailed back and forth four or five times. And, I mean, this poor guy had changed a ton of stuff. I asked how is the exhaust, is it nice and quiet? He says, oh, no, uh -uh, I don't have mufflers on it. it we, we run around mufflers. I said, well, there you go. What's happening, you see, an oxygen sensor is not reading fuel-air mixture. It's reading the oxygen remaining in the exhaust. Exactly. Okay, and it's equating that to fuel-air mixture. More oxygen means incomplete combustion. It's so a formula that it uses. That is correct. 
when you cut the mufflers off the car, you increase the flow dramatically, plus you allow oxygen to leak back in onto that sensor. So now the sensor isn't reading right. Exactly. So it's not that it was bad. It just wasn't reading right. That's correct, because it's got a source of oxygen getting into it. That it shouldn't, that it that shouldn't it knows, have. That it knows it shouldn't have. Right, which is going to totally, totally skew the thing. So what's happening is it's seeing all this oxygen in the exhaust. It's saying, hey, I've got incomplete combustion. So it starts leaning, leaning the out. engine back. Right, <laughs> lean it out. Right, and so he had spent just an inordinate wow. amount of money, and I told him, I said, well, if you don't want to put the exhaust back on it, what you're going to have to do is at least extend the pipes out past the oxygen sensors a good ways so that they're not getting that infiltration. That raw oxygen back to them. Correct. You could even go with maybe a smaller pipe or some type of a restrictor where you're keeping the oxygen from getting to the sensors or move the sensors further up into the engine. Pretty handy guy. You might be able to cut the bung out of the pipe, move it up close to the engine head or something like that. Depending on what application is, I actually put one on a Ford truck the other day. The oxygen sensor was right at the exhaust manifold connection. That's right. I mean, you couldn't hardly pull the collector back for the oxygen sensor being in the way. So Mm -hmm. Ford, I think, has already thought of that and moved them up. Yeah. and They're in all sorts of different places, different lengths, different positions away from the manifold. Mm -hmm. For that reason, that is a calculated instrument and it knows what it's supposed to have. Well, that's right. And if you move the position of the sensor or you change the flow of the exhaust, I've even seen a severe exhaust leak cause sure. the same exact problem. It can make the engine lean out or richen up because now the oxygen sensors aren't reading properly. Because you got to remember, an oxygen sensor doesn't actually read the fuel-air ratio. It calculates the fuel-air ratio, but it's reading the amount of oxygen remaining in the exhaust. Right. We've seen thousands of oxygen sensors change that there was nothing wrong with. Well, that's right. Because something like a bad spark plug wire can give an oxygen sensor code sure because when the plug misfires there's fuel left in the exhaust which means it's incomplete combustion the com- so the oxygen sensor sees it and right. says hey this is wrong so we've got too much this. oxygen here in our exhaust so it's going to read wrong and bam it's going to throw an oxygen sensor code or right. it, may, it may throw an airflow meter code it may throw all kinds of codes exactly depending on what vehicle you're working on and none of them have absolutely anything to do with what's actually wrong with the car no it's just the way the guy wrote the program the, the software program to deal with this situation. Well, his interpretation. Exactly. Of it. hey, let's go back to our phone lines with Kevin. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. I have a newly purchased 2011 Chevy Z71. Okay. And I wanted to get your opinion on it. It's 30,000 miles. Mm-hmm. Um, is this a good vehicle? Is there things I should be looking out for? Kevin, it just depends. Most vehicles, if you take good care of them, are going to give decent service. That vehicle is not ever going to give the service that the old, say, 2004, 2005 did. The days of getting 300,000 miles without spending a ton of money are just gone on the newer stuff. On that one, it's going to have active fuel management, which is problematic. It's got a lot of other gadgets and gizmos and stuff on it that are pretty problematic. It's not a horrible vehicle, but you're not going to get the kind of service you got in the past for the price you got it in the past. What is very, very important on a 2011, number one, you've got to use the right oil, and that is oil that meets or exceeds Dexos. That is General Motors' new spec for their oil for that engine. If you dump regular 5W30 motor oil and expect some major problems around 80 or 90,000 miles, and it will not be under warranty. Okay, so if no one told you that, that's number one. You've got to use oil that meets or exceeds Dexos. We use Mobile One because it exceeds Dexos. We actually have the Dexos brand. At the shop. We got the Delco Dexos for that application. On new cars, if people right. want to use that. And that's real, real important on it. Going to get a lot more important in the next year or two because they're going to go to an overhead cam version of that engine, which makes it far, far more critical. 
but you got to use that in it. You're going to need to do all the maintenance on it. You can't wait for symptoms. Like the old days, you waited until it kind of started missing or idling rough, and you said, well, now I need a tune-up. Well, you can't do that anymore because it's not ever going to start idling rough or missing. It's just going to burn a bunch of stuff up on the engine. And then quit running. And quit running. So what you have to do is watch that maintenance schedule. And you have to remember that maintenance schedule is a blue sky estimate. That is for ideal conditions. That's for folks who are driving 40, 50, 100 miles at a time. We if, like to use the severe service. Right. Well, most people are severe. Because if your average trip is four or five miles, which most people are, you get in a truck, you go to work, you get in a truck, you go to church, you get in a truck, you go to the grocery store, you're running four or five miles per trip. It's never getting to full temperature. So all that stuff about seven, 8,000 mile oil changes, best forget that. Unless your average trip is 40 or 50 miles, in which case that's fine. But if you're driving like most folks do, you need to be changing oil down around 3,000 miles. You need to be using Dexos-approved oil in it. Using a GM oil, oil filter. filter. Yeah, that would be a PF48 on that yes. one. The coolant in it is extremely critical. The first change should come in around four years and then every three years thereafter. The transmission service is pretty critical on it. It does take a special fluid called Dexron 6. It's not regular fluid. It does have a, a, fil- a special filter. Synthetic base. Yeah, deck six is I like to change that around 50,000 miles. The rear differential oil around 100,000 miles. Spark plugs somewhere around about 80, 80 90,000 yeah. miles need to be changed. I think they're listed at 100, but I'd get them between 80 and 90. Yeah, what happens if you push them out to 100, you can start really overheating the calls and you end up burning calls up. And calls right. are probably and 150 bucks a piece and spark plugs are $6 a piece. Right, and you might as well figure spark plug wires too because when you try to take them off, they're going to be froze to the plug and you end up tearing them up anyway. Yeah. So, so I got to say, it's not yeah. as good a truck as what they built at one time, and it is probably a better truck than what you're going to get if you go buy a 14. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not a bad truck overall. I mean, it is just serviceable. Got to, most, got to do the maintenance on most it. Most of the new cars, if you buy them and you do nothing at all, they're going to give you about eighty or 90,000 miles of pretty much trouble-free service, but then you got to throw it away. Right. You don't have anything to work on. Right. And if, if you can plan to do that, man— if you Go for it. can but afford that, that's great. Most but people buy a vehicle with that intention, mm-hmm. and when they get there, they realize, hey, I'm still paying a note on this thing. That's right. I or got 90000 I, I can't I, afford a new one, so now it's too little too late. Well, yeah, and we had a guy come in last week with a Ford Fusion. He had 90,000 miles on it, and he needs 5,000 bucks to go another 100 feet. <laughs> oh. I mean, the air conditioner's leaking, the power steering's leaking, all the motor mounts are worn out. Right. It needs a complete tune-up. All the brakes are metal on metal. On and on and on and on it goes. Now, he drove it 80,000 miles, did very did, little. Right. Changed all there once in a while, and they will do that. Yeah, they, they are, will go that they far. They are good for that. However, if you do follow that tack, you just got to remember when you get to the other end of the road, it's too late to change your mind. That's it. You got to do. You, you got to do what you got to do. You committed then. Yeah, you committed to that particular function. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, we're gonna take one last quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Mike, how are you and things at the dealership's maintenance department? Dave, things are great. You guys still running that low-priced $24.99 oil change at your place? Oh, yeah. Folks come in and we just happen to find a ton of other stuff wrong with their car. (laughs) Works, don't it? Sometimes when it's a woman, I make something up like, your flux capacitor has a leak. Yeah, or your strepanoid filter head needs to be replaced. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. I gotta write that down. Agco Automotive wants to let you know how to stick it to the low-price oil chain shops. Go get the oil change and then take your vehicle and their list of recommended repairs to Agco for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. And we'll fix only that. 
Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Still got a few minutes. Why don't you go and give us calls? 291-6901. Be glad to try to get you some advice and some information here. Maybe get you started or even better, get you stopped. Oh, where? <laughs> <laughs> I think stopping is more important than going. That's right. We've, we've had a discussion a few times. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about the, the newer cars now, and all. Right. It sounds like I always bash them, and, and I'm not meaning to do that, but I've got a gentleman who comes in from time to time, and he loves General Motors products. Uh-huh. That's good. I think his family actually owned a GM dealership at one time. Okay. And he was kind of calling me to task. He says, man, I got a Cadillac, da 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 best car ever. I said, that's great. I'm glad you're happy with it. Yeah. And he got about 80000 I came out the day. Man, my transmission's throwing code 1870. Yeah, yeah well. well. <laughs> it's probably going out, you know. What made that? I said, well, it's pretty common on them. I don't know what made it happen. You know, right. It's just design flaws, design problems. I'm not bashing anybody's products. I'm just saying that when an inordinate number of people are having major problems at what I consider low mileage, right. then that's not a product I'm going to recommend. Exactly. It's just not what I'm looking for in a car. I want to buy a car. And generally, I want to buy a car that's three years old because I want to pay about half price going in. I want to keep it for 12 to 20 years. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I hardly get rid of one that's not 15, 20 years old. Well, yeah, I mean, I have things in life that I really, really like. I like Uh scuba diving, and that costs money. I like traveling, that costs money. There are things that I like spending my money on a whole Other lot than, more than fixing an old car, you know? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I got to have it reliable, and I will spend the money to maintain it, but I don't want to be wasting my money buying a new car. To me, it just I am way, way beyond the point of prestige. I don't feel any better off in a new car than I do in an old car. In fact, I feel a whole lot smarter when I'm driving an old car. Grinning <laughs> <laughs> like a monkey eating yellow jacket. That's it. In my old 2002 Chevy pickup truck yeah. because I hadn't spent a nickel on it since I got it other than maintenance. All right. And... To me, that's just my particular philosophy. Now, some folks, a new car makes them feel good. They make, sure. And there's nothing and wrong with that. And if you got that. the means, go for it. That's I right. Mean, if you can buy it and just drive it 80,000, 90,000 miles, go trade off, get you a new one, or just lease it or whatever, right. that, you'll probably love the newer cars. Right. Life is too short not to have what you want. Well, yeah, absolutely. So if that's your goal, it's just that's not what this show is all about. This show is about saving money and getting a lower cost so you can spend your money on other things that you, that might, you really enjoy might enjoy better. More, yeah. Or at least we enjoy more. Yeah. <laughs> Since we're doing the show. That's our philosophy. <laughs> Let's go back to the phone lines with Jeep. Good morning, Jeep. Lewis, how you doing, buddy? Doing great, sir. I got a 2007 Toyota Tacoma uh-huh. free runner. Yes, sir. Got 118,000 miles on it. I'm wondering if I'm late on a transmission service. I have Has not been done yet? Absolutely. I've had absolutely no problems. Well, with this Jeep, the first trouble you can have is when it burns right, up. when it quits pulling. Yeah, it's not going to give you a warning. It's not going to put a light on. It's not going to say, hey, go do this. It's kind of like being in college. Remember when you are in high school, the teacher stayed behind you do your work? When you got to college, they didn't care whether you did it or not. They just failed you. Well, it's the same thing with this. You're just going to fail. I mean, it was due at 100, and that is an absolute outside blue sky estimate. I would have done it around 50 if it was my vehicle. You'd ought to be on its second one by now. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly not too late. It's kind of like if you hadn't brushed your teeth in the last six months, it's certainly not going to hurt to start brushing them again. 
but I would definitely get that done as and soon as possible. Proper service on yeah. that unit, not just a flush. Do not want a flush. That does absolutely no good and can actually do some harm. That one does take a special fluid called WS, which is world standard, uh-huh. and it's a special method of checking fluid because it doesn't have a dipstick on the transmission. Right. So I would definitely get that service as soon as possible to have the fluid and filter changed. Some of the dealerships are going to tell you there's a permanent filter or a lifetime filter. That's BS. Is a regular filter like anything else. Toyota calls it a screen, but that's just strictly a matter of semantics. It's a filter. Take it out, look at it, and cut it open. Nothing but a filter. Right. So there is a filter in it. It does need to be serviced. I would have done it, like I said, close to 50, but again, at 118, you're not in the world. They're pretty tough little transmissions. But And right now, when you drop the pan, you can look in it and see if there's metal. metal laying in. You can also yep. cut the filter open, see how much yeah. trash the unit is generating. Right. If it's not, put a new filter in it, put the pan back on it, fill it back up with yeah. the correct not fluid, ever, you're ready ever, to go. You're going to hurt yourself doing a proper service on it. You might buy yourself a whole lot of time. Right. So I would get on that just as quick as I possibly can. And I tell you, we are just totally out of time for That's today. it. We are done. There you go. <laughs> tell our listeners there how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends, go to iTunes and Stitcher and give us a written rating. That yeah. kind of moves us up in the ranks. It does. It may, they look at those written ratings, and that's how they decide who goes to the top of the list. So we really appreciate that, and it also makes our day. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Yeah.